Hello, and welcome to this very special edition of Riot Act, uh, all about mono. Um, I'm sure most of you listening to this will have heard of mono, but we're going to be sitting here and speaking with a wonderful panel of guests uh, and talking about one of the most fascinating, interesting bands on on planet Earth right now, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and we have a wonderful panel of people talking about them who I'm going to ask to introduce themselves right now. So to my left, we have... Hello, I'm Serena Cherry from Svalbard. I play guitar and do shouty vocals and get myself into trouble with my lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Which isn't a problem for mono, obviously, the majority of the time. And... Hi, I'm A.A. Williams. I sing songs and write songs and... Uh, that, that, that's kind of that really <laughs> saying that very modestly yes <laughs> <laughs> and finally we have i'm joe quayle um i play cello and uh i write instrumental music and tour a lot <laughs> absolutely um that that is absolutely correct um I, i'm assuming most people listening to this will actually know who mono are but just a very very quick brief introduction for the uninitiated uh Mono are a Japanese instrumental quartet formed in Tokyo in 1999. They've released 10 full-length studio albums to date, as well as a handful of splits, EPs, and live albums. Characteristics of the band include uh, rhythm and lead guitars that make extensive use of reverb, distortion, and delay effects. And the band's live show, which I've been fortunate enough to see uh, oh, about half a dozen times now, I think, uses dynamics in extreme ways, if anyone is uh disagreeing with this then please just do pipe up but i think at the moment we're all full house um whilst it's tempting to categorize mono as a post-rock band i'm actually going to try and not use that term as much as possible um in this <laughs> in this uh in this special simply because i know that the band aren't overly fond of it themselves um, guitarist Takagoto said of the term in an interview with Time Out in 2009 music is communicating the incommunicable that means a term like post-rock doesn't mean much to us as the music needs to transcend genre to be meaningful um, I feel what mono do is kind of take emo emotions whether it be joy, anger, sadness uh, uh, actually I want a more positive one like triumph or even love and I mean, those words by themselves feel meaningless those letters feel very very meaningless but then mono managed to over the course of usually 10 minutes or so um encapsulate that emotion and make a listener feel it in a way that they couldn't feel it in mm. without music um I feel like I feel like I've gone gone off to a very wanky start, but I feel like there's going to be quite a wanky podcast anyway, considering <laughs> the, the subject matter. So, but how do you how do you anyone who wants to pick up on that? How do you how do any of you feel about that in terms of the manner in which they convey emotion I in their music? I feel that potentially sometimes there is a deliberate emotion conveyed. Maybe they say, "Okay, so triumph, love," as you say, whichever of these. Mm. But then I think also the manner of their writing means that as a listener one can kind of um assign an emotion to these pieces themselves depending on how they're feeling uh if they've had a good day or if they've had a bad day you know listening to the same piece on a different day you might find that 
you feel differently, it conveys a different emotion to you depending on how you are mm-hmm. that day. So I don't know if it's always going to be that the band have decided that it's going to convey a certain thing or if it's sometimes down to the listener to decide how that feels today. I feel like in my head, I think Mono have very specific ideas, but I think they would want the listeners to interpret it however mm. they want to do it. And I think that's quite a uni- that's probably quite a universal feeling. Yeah. I mean, you all, you all make music. Mm. I suppose there's always a underlying thing that you want to talk about, but if it's interpreted, yeah. uh, however it's interpreted, um, well, provided you get something from it. I think in, in, a, in a way, I mean, that's the point of, of well, not the point, but that, that's instrumental music is, is the fact that uh, it is, it's a, a three-way arrangement between the performer and the stage and the audience. And it's, that is the audience participation, if you like, rather yeah. than, you know, clap along chorus moments, is what they're prepared to invest in the performance and how much they will take from it from the emotional experience and particularly with mono it's interesting because they're very 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 structured actually but within the structure is what you could term moments of apparent musical chaos which are which are not but you see they're so much more powerful because of the structure that underpins them and you know this is i find this quite fascinating i mean in all, all genres of music that explore this type of compositional process but particularly relevant now with with we're talking about mono, you know, mm. so, um, but I think, yes, yeah, it's, it's, as Alex is saying, you know, the, the audience, the listener will respond how it affects them. And that is, that is their job. And the private story behind the music, the composer's intention is, is one thing on its own. But as soon as you put it onto stage, as with mono, it belongs to everybody who listens, mm. you know, and responds. I feel like a large part, especially live it's conveyed in the records to a certain degree although you know you really need to see a live mono show to um get this experience fully uh we talk about dynamics a lot on this show and the manner in which mono use dynamics going from you know a quiet quiet whisper practically to one of the loudest sort of tsunamis of sound that you've ever heard um and it really is a when people talk about a wall of sound i don't feel like people have really experienced it until they 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 go to shows like a mono show or mm. a mogwai show or an explosion show or something like that you know it really yes. is terrifyingly loud sometimes like like a jumbo jet taking off mm. just <laughs> above your face you know kind of thing um but to me yeah to me I, I feel like it is those dynamics that that give it that punch and that shift and that um that drive i suppose I feel like it's the it's the opposites devi- defining each other is kind of that binary mm. opposition, and that's where mono really stand out for me is the quiet moments when you watch them live have so much emotion and so much feeling, and if the, they weren't there, then the wall of sound wouldn't have half the amount of impact that it does. It's just those sheer opposites and the fact that I they agree. can slide completely agree. Yeah. from one end to the other yeah. so seamlessly. Yes, yes. But I often say this to people. I mean, heavy is not heavy out of thin air. You know what I mean? Yeah. Heavy is only heavy if there's something that stands That's next to it in comparison. Yeah. And when Tamaki sings, plays piano, this is that you can hear literally, you know, it's old phrase, but you can hear a pin drop. You can yep. feel this mm-hmm. from the stage. And then, of course... You know, as you say, Serena, when when they then let rip, is so much more powerful because of these, you know, the juxtaposition. 
this is where music breathes, I think, properly, oh, you know. Definitely. Mm. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. We talk about this all the time on the show. I mean, we review <laughs> such a wide berth of stuff, you know, everything from singer-songwriter stuff to grindcore albums. But there's so many sort of, I mean, I'm going into a slightly different field here, but there's so many sort of death metal albums or, or, or grindcore albums or whatever, which just lose their impact so quickly because it is just kill, 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 kill. And it's, mm. it gets really boring really quickly. And I've always sort of maintained that for me, bands like Mono, even sonically, even though sonically they may not sound like it all the time, I think they're far heavier than a lot of those kind of acts because of that, that mm. use of dynamics and stuff like that. Um, has, I'm wondering if Mono, I, I mean, we might have different answers for this because we've got three people who are in quite different bands here. Um, but I'm wondering how mono have effect, has affected your own influences in your own music at all. Oh my god! Sorry, I'm just so excited <laughs> by this question. Right. <laughs> Serena, this is your one. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, you were the one that Serena was the one I was most worried about, actually. Oh, but can can you say this? Well, you can. Listen, brilliant. Okay. Listen to my guitar playing. I literally, I, it's just me worshiping mono. Every hmm. single guitar lead, I use the same effects pedals as Tacker. Like, okay. and I base those decisions after the first time I saw them in 2005, um, and I was basically I went. I want to sound like that. Like I want to make my guitar have that crying kind of emotion and that beauty and that shimmery. Oh, it's just it gives me the shivers. Um, the guitar sound. It's like so a wave. Yeah, like it? I love it so much, and that is one of my biggest. There's not many. I never try to emulate that many artists that I love. I kind of just take the inspiration in a different way. But with mono, it has been a case of. I want to sound like that. So I've always thought that that's the kind of aspect that I bring to a band like Svalbard, which is a lot heavier and a lot faster and more driving, is I'm that that prettiness of mono mm. in the guitar leads. But yeah, I bought an RV5 just right. to sound like them. And yeah, like huge, even the way the melodies fall and the kind of notes that they use, as it's basically it's exactly what i want to be playing <laughs> that's interesting though because i think a lot of people on a surface level if they listen to svalbard might not see the through line to mono i totally get what you're saying but uh, you know if you just sort of listen to it peripherally almost you might not actually um see that connection at all but i i totally understand what you're saying like absolutely but that's that's the point isn't mm. it though you know because you took this and respectfully say this but you've made it your own you know yeah. in your way and yeah. how you want to, to make and this is this is the great thing isn't it with music passing the baton all yeah. the time you know yeah and just sort of wearing your heart on your sleeve yes, yes. this this is what yeah. i love but i love it in this way yes mm. precisely yes for, for me i think it's more about the kind of the arrangements really and the kind of use of space in um in particular areas i mean i Obviously, kind of the music that I make is not instrumental, but I think there are, oddly enough, if you listen to the songs and you take the vocal off, as we have versions of these things knocking around on our computers, mm. um, it doesn't sound miles away mm. in the kind of softer sections, particularly. It's more about the kind of the, the kind of the note choices, the placement of these notes just kind of in the air here and there. They don't have to, you know, I, I think from the off I've never been too much about just filling space unnecessarily so I think the softer elements of Mono's music I think there are definitely kind of 
definitely kind of common threads there in terms of how I tend to kind of use instrumentation in those softer passages. And I mean, I would love to be able to create a wall of noise. I don't think <laughs> quite yet I'm there. I would love to. Um, I think the dynamic variation again, though, is another thing that I like to do, to be honest. I've always been a bit of a sucker. But again, like Serena, you were mentioning earlier on, it's that juxtaposition of quiet and loud. It isn't just about kind of boom loud from the beginning. I'm t I can't write a song like that. I just I haven't found a way of doing it that works for me yet. So One day I hope to. But <laughs> I, yeah, I think I think something that I would equate with both your music and Mono's music is um, a lack of fear to use silence. Yeah. We wanged on about this quite a lot when we reviewed the EP mm. earlier in the year. Um, there are so few artists, musicians who are, uh, you know, not not uh, uh, who aren't capable of using mm. silence or very 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 quiet stuff mm. and i think that takes a chutzpah which is beyond the majority of musicians <laughs> um and you know mono do it definitely um that whole pin drop thing that you're talking about i mean it's a mm. cliche for a reason you mm. know the pin drop thing is is perfect mm. with a lot of mono shows and a lot of your shows as well i've seen about half a dozen times this year it's most, and of, most of the gigs we've done <laughs> 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 it's just like oh Rembrandt's here again um and um yeah, there are definitely those moments where, you know, even at a festival, I mean, mm. the last time I saw you was Arctangent and uh, at 11 o'clock in the morning and, uh, you know, everyone was a bit hungover, but, you know, still like everyone was very quiet and very, mm. you know, you really could hear that atmosphere in that tent. Um, and um, that is a very scary thing to do as musicians. It's a lot scarier. I remember talking to, I'm going to do a name drop here, but I remember talking to uh, Greg from Dillinger Escape Plan when he was... Um, switching to his new project the black queen which was a far more kind of chilled project than dillinger and he was far more scared about sort of showing uh vulnerability and emotion mm. than he was about screaming in people's faces yeah. you know and greg pisciato for people who don't know was built like a brick shit house you know mm. um but he was he was petrified about that yeah joe any any influence go into your music through mono i would say yes you know of course um i mean but, but you know it's there are obvious things that both i do and mono do you know in terms of compositional structure and like you're saying space silence wall of sound all that type of thing funny enough what i think what influences me more actually uh, musically of course actually is touring with them and learning uh seeing them day after their workhorses you know and seeing them night after night after night um the setups, the sound checks, the professionalism, the speed at which things are done, the order in which things are done. Again, mm. it's order, it's structure. Before I'd even met Mono, people were going, oh, you know, for fans of Mono. And I didn't nearly know their music before uh, really? I toured with them. Yeah. So Sorry what was your introduction that. to Mono? Um, supporting them at the Queen Elizabeth Hall. Wow. At the Festival. Wow, okay. What is interesting is when they're on stage, obviously their stage presence is incredibly strong, yet they're all mm. seated. Yes. Except for Tamaki. Yes. So mm. Tamaki yeah. is a very, very powerful She's presence wonderful on to stage. Watch, isn't yeah. she? But even, you know, I mean, Yoda and Hacker, you think, well, you know, these guys are seated. Many times oh, the goodness. audience can't see the state. They can't see them even. Yet still you can feel this oh, energy. And then, of course, when they get up uh, towards the end, mm -hmm. um, they would normally be, sta or, or then Yoda would be standing by the time it got to Halcyon and then Taka would be at the very end of the, the concerts as well. 
then people are erupting because finally they can see the dudes, you know, yeah. uh, and and they throw shapes. <laughs> so yeah. it's very powerful. I feel like the way that Mono's career has sort of progressed, um, they sort of began as a, they, they wanted to basically emulate My Bloody Valentine and Sonic uh, Youth yes. um, with the first couple of records, which I think they actually, at, at, the, at their best, those records do do that more yeah. or less. But as um, time went on, they brought in a lot more... What I would broadly term um, classical influences, I know, I know, classical purists will be going nuts for me calling it classical, but you know, uh, I'm not going to get into all the terms now. No, it's fine in the broadest yeah, sense. Think, it's yeah. totally fine in so. the very, very yeah. broadest sense. And I f- it feels like more and more string elements were added uh, with each progressive album, and I feel like that was really taken to the zenith probably around him to the immortal wind which we really need to talk about because of this roadburn performance earlier this oh, year yes now i was there um i promise you i'm not just saying this because we're recording or anything like that it was my favorite mono show i've ever seen Amazing. i generally uh and i have said it on this show before i generally don't really like album shows because it sort of takes uh element of the surprise away mm. from what you're going to see but um, I think seeing that album with, you know, with the strings was just such a powerful, incredible, and in that room as well, it was just wonderful. Um, and I mean, the quantity of beer I drank might have helped as well. <laughs> but it was, it, it was an, an incredible experience. How did that? And, and Alex, you were part of the string quartet, mm-hmm. wasn't Joe it? Quail quartet. Oh, yes. Joe Quail quartet. Oh yeah. Joe Quail quartet. Now. On the album, it's a 28-piece chamber orchestra. Mm. So it must have... Was there a sort of... Uh, was it um, intimidating having to try and sort of replicate those parts? Or was that... No, well, we, we didn't do that. We, uh, as a colleague of mine, Mark Deeks, who's the top arranger, basically, okay. it, one of the top in this country. So he took um, the handful of scores that we did have and obviously the tracks that didn't have scores because... because uh, um, Alex and I played, we both played cello, yeah. and we had Jos and Danielle playing violin, and Mono did not want to have any viola players, so we couldn't make standard quartet arrangements. So okay. it just meant that Alex and I took turns going higher up, you know, oh, basically. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but Mark did the arrangements, um, and he did them brilliantly, and also Mono can be relied upon to perform what they say they're going to perform. Mm. So we knew that we could sit down and we could play our scores um and we knew together. that they would fit together yeah basically Great. so that was the first time i'd ever seen mono yeah on stage well playing with during them. the gig yeah. oh wow <laughs> never seen the wall of sound until and even within that, ears yeah you still that was amazing got you know i mean a mac is brilliant front of house engineer with it you mm. know yeah and the monitor guys were great for us but it's it's quite powerful oh yeah, yeah. you can feel the air mix, yes, can't you, you? Can. especially because where we were standing there's kind of enormous marshall stack next to you yeah, you yeah. just think kind of get when that turns on there you go yeah. 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 you can feel that but no it was lovely it was it was an enjoyable thing to be part of and it was it was so much about also being able to watch an audience reaction which i think is something people forget a lot when they're talking about music that Obviously, if you're on stage, you can see the reaction of a 3,000 capacity room in um, yes. Spielberg, you know, so you can see people being kind of affected by this music. And obviously these people are watching it because they enjoy it and they love this record and, and they're here to see something beautiful. Yes. And you can see the faces change and you can see that there are some people there and they're just there on their own and they're enjoying it and they're 
having the best time and they're kind of feeling a little emotional about it. And it's really beautiful to watch from the stage side mm-hmm. because when you're standing there in the crowd, you don't you kind of forget that whoever's on the ba- in the band can, can see you. Mm-hmm. You're kind of just watching them standing there. You know? mm-hmm. and, and it was beautiful to watch people kind of change across from the beginning to the end of the performance from the beginning you can see they're all kind of they're like yeah this is the album i love you know mm. and by the end of it some of them are in bits and you just think my god it's amazing that music can do that for somebody okay one thing sitting in the car kind of you know whatever but the live experience that molecules in the room the air moving the kind of the, the physical element that it isn't just watching you know mm. there's listening there's watching there's how it feels in the room it makes such a difference mm. to to how you feel about it mm. And watching that happen was beautiful. Mm. I think I think people the interaction between the players yeah. as well. I think and obviously between the quartet and the band, but between the quartet ourselves mm. as well. And there's there's an aspect of of that which I think interests people, to put it mildly. Yeah, you know? definitely. <laughs> um, it made a massive. I mean, it, strings are so emotional. I mean, it's such a. It's not the most original comment in the world but <laughs> but strings it would do yeah. but, but like just <laughs> the yeah. the, man, the manner of a, a bowed string instrument particularly mm-hmm. just the way that it moves i don't know what it is about it it's it's all it, i i would say in a different way i'd say the most powerful instruments for me in a lot of ways people would probably just assume i would say guitar but i think it'd probably be voice piano and cello mm. you know Mm. Which cello is very close to the human voice, oh, you know. So this is right. one thing to bear in mind. We also have uh, a range which is 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 very is very very large. I think trombone probably is a similar range. But yeah. so so when you're talking with piano as well, you've equally got this this big range yeah. of of you know between the low and the high. Um, but I think because particularly with cello, so we're in that register anyway. Mm. Then with the bow, I mean to me. It, it's my voice, you know. I sing to my daughter, but I, I couldn't do what you girls do, you know. <laughs> but I uh, will play my cello, and that's my voice, mm. you know. That is, and I will phrase the note in such a way, or be, I feel it here in my in my stomach, uh, my chest yeah. when I play the notes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. You know. it's just an extension of the breath, isn't it? it? Bow precisely. Is just, bow equals breath in in this context, yeah. where we remove the kind of physical yeah. voice, which is kind of move it down here and use yeah. the hand instead. I wrote a piece on my last album for last called The Breathing Hand, exactly okay. for this, because, you know, this is when I teach, I say, this, this is boring, but you, you agitate the boat, you know, everything, it's like a magic carpet, you know, and, and everything, no part stays still, but all parts work together at different times mm. and in different speeds, but that's how you create, you know? Yeah, that's lovely. <laughs> that magic carpet analogy is lovely. It's nice, isn't it? It's useful if you've got students who are a bit, bit stiff yeah. you know in, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. in the right arm it's um, some <laughs> as you're both classically trained musicians and as classically trained musicians i'm just sort of curious i mean there are clearly a lot of uh classical influences with mono as well i know um tack has talked a lot about beethoven mm. how beethoven is um uh used in mono's work um as someone who is more musically well versed than myself, can you explain how you feel those classical elements come into Mono's music, uh, which they might not do with other bands of their nature? I, mean, I could give you a sort of straight off the bat answer, yeah. if you like, which yeah. I think would be um, that 
uh, all the things we've talked about before, basically, in terms of structure, dynamic variation, compositional integrity, certainly um, harmonic. I mean, Beethoven, you, well, you, you, I mean, personally, I think the late Beethoven quartets are amongst the heaviest music that's out there, mm. you know. So, so you, you've got these types of uh, sounds and structures. Uh, added into that to the electronics but for, for me I would think mainly uh, the, the classical influence it, it seems to me well I know Taka listens to a lot of music a yeah. lot of big variety of music I think you can tell yes precisely but it would be the structure um, you know you couldn't necessarily say oh you know this particular bit from, from this symphony I hear here mm. on the other hand if you're talking about um, symphonic poem or, 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 or you know uh, you know, like the Pastoral Symphony. And yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Kind of big, so kind of programmatic. Pro- kind of yeah, program, big programmatic, kind of. yes, exactly. Program music, program symphonies. That you've got in, in a mono mm. album mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's not concept in prog terms, mm. but there's, there's um, I think, a, a, a path that's being walked. And yeah. this is something which I think some of the kind of late classical, classical romantic period music is very much... Uh, using this type of approach mm. would you say i would Am I say wrong? that I've, i also definitely see more sonic similarities with more contemporary minimal yeah composers yeah. though if i was I, was I was funny i was listening to um nowhere now here yeah on the bus on the way here mm. and i was listening to breathe and i thought that sounds like Goretzky, doesn't it yeah yeah do you know what yes, i mean it's exactly. simply sorrowful songs yes, and precisely. not never noticed this before yeah. particularly but i just thought there's just the kind of the, the slow moving textures in some of the parts of the songs that have kind of less rhythmic elements. Yes, yes, yes. You know what I mean? There's a kind of similarity, kind of Pet, Goretzky, that kind of slightly sparse stuff, which I suppose, again, in the use of space, because there's so little, technically speaking, going on, you so much more pay attention to what is happening. And it's beautiful when you listen to these things. Again, I was just listening to to, to Nowhere Now Here on the Bus, and I thought, yeah, I see that now. I I kind of didn't notice it before, but I think that's... One of the really beautiful things about listening to instrumental music is that personally, I discover stuff way down the line. You yeah, know, you yeah, listen yeah, to something yeah. the first time, you have an impression of it. And with instrumental music, often it is easy to to kind of have it off in the background somewhere yeah. and kind of sometimes pay attention to it and sometimes mm-hmm. not. And this morning, I, sp- I, I, I certainly find when I'm listening to music on my own, I pay a lot more attention to it than Absolutely. when I was, you know, on in the kitchen or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, totally so kind of it's, I'm it's immersed in my in my little kind of bubble world yeah. listening to me. And that's the place I enjoy listening to the music the most is weirdly when I'm traveling, I kind of... Y- music in absolutely stop the world can't hear anything just enjoying whatever it is that i've chosen and this morning really enjoying paying real real attention to what's in there and every single time you listen you notice something new and that's one of my favorite things about mono and and instrumental music in general really is you just keep discovering i don't think you ever get to a point where you go i'm done i know everything there is to know about that song now Mm. i'll move on i think that's so that's such a brilliant point because when you have a vocal line in a traditional, uh, uh, I should you should uh, in a modern sense, mm. a vocal line works as the uh, hook ninety percent of the time. Mm. In me, I mean, I suppose maybe not a lot in metal and stuff. It, it depends on the form of music, but a lot of the time, the vocal will act as a hook. Whereas with instrumental music, you may not have a obvious hook, so it becomes a more of a layered sort of experience, mm. and so therefore you can't necessarily take it all in on one listen. Mm. Mm. So it does need multiple listens in, also, in order to, I don't 
I suppose get the most from it. Mm. Absolutely. Um, but that's why I keep coming back to so much instrumental music because, like, like you say, there's just so much to discover with it, and mm. you can discover new things down the line. Mm. You know? With regards to just coming to this hook element that you you spoke of, I always see a lot in mono that this starts with something very small, tiny motif, just four mm. or five notes, something mm. seemingly quite insignificant mm. at the beginning of a song, and by the end of it, it's turned into mm. something. Mm-hmm some crash bang incredible wall of mm. don't know what and it's it's acknowledging the journey that tiny little motif takes because it never stops it never goes away it starts there and it's there for the whole 10 minutes mm. but absolutely yeah. it's it's easy to kind of your ear wanders somewhere else when a new thing enters or the mm. beat changes or whatever and it's with the discovery element so nice to just really try and pay attention to how that gets from a to b mm-hmm. because it's not obvious sometimes at all and you kind of you get to the end you think how did we get here that probably actually encapsulates another one of the classical influences Mm. on mono because that's exactly the sort of thing you find in said beethoven symphonies or you know the whole thing is built from a tiny motif i call it the dna you know absolutely and then that is prevalent throughout and and extended and you know we usually but this is exactly what mono do and i Mm. think perhaps that is what makes it so strong also because you have a sensation then of familiarity you see because you've been presented with this let's argue three note motif whatever then by the time it comes back in this wall of sound thing you we even if we've never seen mono before and we never heard him before we feel safe you know yeah Yeah. Yeah. because you're Uh, familiar precisely yeah this is i think very important aware of it or Mm. exactly yeah 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 it's just like a it's just to bring it back to basics it's like just like a riff yes precisely coming back you know it starts maybe in a smaller place yes 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 just underpins everything yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, exactly pops out the other end Yeah, yeah 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 Speaking of this, actually, it's quite interesting, this whole idea of um, hearing things that you don't normally hear, because I asked all three members of the panel to give me their favourite mono record or a mono record that they absolutely love, uh, because it's a very long, uh, long catalogue. It's a very broad and big back catalogue, and I'm very familiar with some mono albums, but less so others. And Serena, the album that you gave me was um, for my parents which is an absolutely beautiful startling record which i had heard before but for whatever reason it just i just i just kind of skipped over it a little bit and then you know when you said it was your favorite i was like oh i better go back to it and give it a little listen and i was basically like i have no idea why i ever skipped over this record because it's easily one of their most majestic one of their most I mean, there's a, there's a whole fucking orchestra on it. It's crazy. There's like, it's, it's, and, and it is this beautiful ode to parents. And it's just, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. But what is it about that record that makes it one of your, your favorites? Um, for me, I think for my parents has a purity mm-hmm. to it that just strikes you in the heart immediately. Uh, that it's impossible to have it on and to not feel the emotions that are on that record um it's really hard to put into words without using all <coughs> the same words that everyone use when you talk about mono of kind of crescendo beautiful yeah. shimmering yeah. uh hopeful yep. summery yet melancholy and like, a giant. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah like yeah. Th- those are all the words but for me i think it's just for my parents takes me to a place emotionally where it's it's, it's like 
just being hit with a wall of sentimentality. Mm. Like it's, it just feels dripping with sentiment and kind of it's like it, that album is like a film that takes you on a journey. Absolutely. Um, it's Sometimes it's really hard to talk about the things you love and I why know. you I love them. Um, I have to do this every week. But like, I, I mean, to put it this way, I can't listen to some of the songs on for my parents without having a little cry. Yeah. Because they're just so moving and beautiful and yeah they're, they're it's just like this it's like a soundtrack to a really moving film but also a really believable realistic film that you feel part of like i just mm. connect with it. it becomes personal yes not just a piece of music that someone's written and put over there it yeah. becomes kind of part of your soundtrack to you yes and your life definitely and it speaks to me like i think one of the things i've been thinking about while you're talking about instrumental music is how the lack of lyrics and the lack of language allows the language that is music mm. to speak louder yeah and uh i feel yeah that it you form a deeper connection through that with the instrumental music and especially have that on for my parents for me. I certainly think it allows for a more personal interpretation. Mm. So, um, and this is what I was saying before, I'm sure, I'm sure the guys and gal in mono have an idea of what they want to convey, mm. but then at the same time, they'd probably be, whatever you're feeling, they're probably quite happy yeah. as long as, as long as you're feeling something, something. and you're getting mm, something yeah. from it. Mm. Um, then 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 it's you know i'm sure that's fine so serena you went on tour um with the svalbard guys with well mono brought you on tour to japan mono brought us over to japan to there play their um show that they do at the ocrest venue in tokyo i think they they do it every year can you tell us the about after that? hours um, one yeah after oh, hours so cool i saw you doing that it's yeah amazing it was a dream come was true. it <laughs> it was the best it was the best thing ever yeah. so every year I, I don't know much about it so yeah every year they do after hours fest okay. and um they each pick a handful of bands that they get to come over ah so it's curated it's, by them then. Yeah, yeah and it's sort of it's a big venue with three or four different stages in the venue like cool. absolutely huge venue um and they flew us out to play which i remember what getting the email and Amazing. just having to reread it about yeah. five <laughs> times going well this isn't this can't be true this can't like be, this kind of gone to the right people yeah yeah i mean they are people. one of my biggest musical influences and we were being flown out to play in Japan, like my favorite country with yeah. them. So it was an absolute dream come true. The festival was incredible. And I remember wow. the lineup was amazing. And when we played, um, I remember looking to the side of the stage and seeing Mono, Envy, and some of Explosions in the Sky <laughs> at the side of the stage watching the like, oh, I had to pinch myself. Oh, like it, it just wasn't real. Um, and afterwards, at the end of the show, we all went to a sort of after party on the one of the top floors of a bar in Tokyo and we were all just sat there and I, I thought this is this is incredible so I'm fangirling now <laughs> but uh just this beautiful view of Tokyo all lit up at night amazing. and we just played this amazing festival mono played an amazing set like all the bands were so good and I couldn't even believe that we got to play that with yeah. them and then to you know all sit and have a drink together in this beautiful view afterwards like it was a dream come true we're hoping to go back <laughs> next year <laughs> for not for after that but we're definitely we will be going back to japan japan yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it's mm -hmm. amazing for shows um 
I should say, I mean, a big part of the reason that we're doing this podcast is because um, Mono are putting on a... I don't know if you could call it a similar to After Hours, but um, it, it's called Mono and the... Well, they're playing with the Platinum Anniversary Orchestra. It's basically uh, shows celebrating their 20th anniversary. Um, and uh, all three of these amazing musicians are on the bill, um, alongside the likes of Boris, Envy, Arabot, uh, Alcest, Nordic Giants, and Floating Spectrum. Um, and it's... I mean, that is one of the bills of the year, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> that is just absolutely uh, incredible. Um, if anyone hasn't seen Mono live, um, then I would absolutely recommend that they come down to London and see those shows because they're going to be absolutely fantastic. Mono themselves are playing with the Platinum Anniversary Orchestra at the Barbican, which is pretty much the perfect venue I it's can think of to see them. It's going to be great, yeah. Um, there's this wonderful, wonderful book. I was hoping to get the author of this book on here, but um, unfortunately it didn't happen. But this wonderful book called Storm Static Sleep, which has it's an incredible chapter on mono. It's actually quite a long passage that I'm going to read, but I think it's really worth reading um, because the this is sort of about how Taka was talking about um, Rays of Darkness, which was... Uh, mono released two albums in 2014, The Last Dawn and Rays of Darkness, and they were kind of juxtaposed posed albums put that in a weird way but um the last dawn was a far more traditional sort of mono record and rays of darkness was just so heavy ridiculously heavy talking about the latter day beethoven quartets like stupid stupendously heavy basically ends on feedback for about four minutes and um this was taken from a email interview and i'm sure all three of you have done email interviews before and the way that this is I mean, most of the time, just a little peek behind the curtain. When you do an email interview, you get very kind of not. This is no offense to any of you guys. I'm sure you guys give amazing uh, answers, but you get quite stock, not very interesting answers often from email. This is one of the best answers to a question I've ever seen. I think this is um, uh, his explanation uh, regarding the polarization of those two records. He said. I always try to create something cinematic that could help and overcome my sadness up until now. But this time I faced a serious creative block. I didn't have any inspiration or storyline that I wanted to write about. I've been doing this for over 10 years now. Write an album, do some interviews and then go on a long tour repeatedly. Then try to write some songs between those times while I'm back in Japan for like two weeks. Then again make a record based on those fragments I left behind. I think I forced myself too much this time. More and more I thought about it, but I couldn't get any ideas. Every time I returned home, even though I tried, instead of leaving some song ideas behind, all I could do was pack my suitcase and go back on tour again and again and again. I think I basically reached my limit physically and mentally by the end of it. Don't get me wrong, every time we played live, I experienced something wonderful through our fans, but in every other place, all I could feel was an absolute void. I couldn't write any songs, no one could help me, and eventually I was even unable to listen to any music to refresh my mind. Books, movies, colleagues, friends, there was nothing that could fulfil me in any way. I know this isn't a pleasant story to hear, but every time before going on stage I vomited and often had sleepless nights before because of the gastric pain. Through this pain, I came to a realisation that my duty now is to make those feelings into sounds, like the suffering, void, agony, endless fear and anxiety. I could no longer care about the thin layer of hope I had. It felt like this was the only thing I had left to try. But when you start writing based on those feelings, your daily life starts to become much darker and depressing. Even when I got out of the studio, my feelings were very rebellious, almost as though I had sold my soul to hell. 
um, I mean, Limp Biscuit. this is not, you know, like, <laughs> um, like, I mean, I don't, I, I just wanted to throw that in there really, because that's one of the most stunning answers I've, I've mm. I mean, it's so open and so sometimes people say that they don't get any emotional connect from instrumental music. And I really don't get that because I can hear all of that in that record and a lot of Mono's material generally mm. and as you were saying Serena it's almost like the what you put on top of it you you can you can put your own kind of feelings and your own emotions on onto what a song is about and and you can decide for yourself or th this maybe this song is about my mother or maybe this song is about um and my grandfather who passed away or something like that mm. you know you can you can do that so easily you can mold it to your own experiences I certainly I find personally with instrumental music, I can't describe the emotion that I feel. Mm. So I will listen to a song and sometimes a particular piece won't affect me particularly. I'll just be, you know, doing whatever and it's there and I'm kind of I'm aware of it, but it's not. But then some days it will hit you in a totally different way. And it's not ever an emotion that I can pinpoint particularly. It's not like, oh, this makes me feel sad now or, oh, I feel happy now i feel joyous now i can't describe it most of the time it's just like a it kind of it's like your body has an emotional response before your brain's figured out what that response is so your body's like you know you're welling up or whatever but you can't describe why because mm. you haven't figured it out yet mm. if that makes sense so mm. a lot of the time when i listen i get the same thing with classical music all the time but i do certainly think there are just some people who don't have emotional responses to music i think there are definitely some people who just don't feel that and I don't know if it's because of the lack of lyric or the lack of kind of um, the lack of text. Um, but I know definitely some people who don't feel that it's like I, I enjoy music, but mm. I don't doesn't physically do something. I mean, I don't know how people can have that. Mm. For me personally, I can't describe the emotion that is attached to these songs for me because I don't know what it is. It's just well, it something is. big, but I couldn't I couldn't write it down. I couldn't couldn't explain it. So do you theorise that you have to be a certain type of person to be able to feel Potentially. That? I mm. just think that, yeah, I, I wonder whether maybe some, or maybe just that some people are more kind of susceptible to that mm. than others. I don't know if it's just a kind of, there's a straight down the line, people who feel physically when, you know, kind of certain music is, you know, or, or when people don't. I, I don't know if there's like, if it's so kind of finite as that, but... Some people may be more susceptible than others. I don't know what would make that happen. Maybe it's just certain past emotional experiences or just certain physiology. I don't know. But it's kind of, it, I think as well, because it's, uh, because I, I wouldn't mind betting that the initial reaction point is, is very subconscious mm. and subliminal in instrumental music. So, uh, and then what comes. The, the the conscious response to that is what you're talking mm. about the bit that you can't quite figure out because yeah. it's it's pulling a lot of probably archetypal um, essences yeah. or what have you I mean I, I I think it's it's not something that you know belongs to some and not to others I think it's mm. what you choose and obviously oh. this is probably why uh, pop music is so popular i'm talking about you know modern day pop and stuff things which are quite is, is quite easy quite accessible doesn't take a lot of investment to find a beat you know mm -hmm. find a beat. whereas i think instrumental music does require a bit of investment from the listener mm -hmm. 
And some people are prepared to do that and some people's tastes are different. Mm. But if you are prepared, the rewards are very rich. But like Alex says, it can it can take you different ways each time you listen to a piece. Because you, it's going to, because you, mm. you want to hear different things as we identified before. You know, each listen, something different comes. So therefore, I imagine the well from which all things spring is going to have a different bucket drawn from here yeah. <laughs> each time, you know? I mean... yeah. In doing in doing research for this, I I, I knew that um, the band had worked with Steve Albini a lot, and Steve Albini is obviously known for producing very raw, uh, you know, basically trying to capture the sound of bands in a room. What I didn't realise is um, the majority of um, Mono's stuff is recorded live, which I suppose I shouldn't be surprised by, but um, I, I guess in a sense I am because it's. I mean, the three of you can tell me far more than I than I could that's very very unusual in a modern context isn't it to to you know record live um for several reasons really i suppose you could go into the ins and outs of that but i think that uh i think that gives it a rawness which um and maybe that sense of them playing off of one another maybe gives it more of a dynamic push and pull than it would if you know they were recording the glockenspiel part in individually mm. and the guitar part and then you know, well, drums first and mm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, but Albini's relationship with Mono seems to be very, very important. I mean, he's produced the majority of their records. Well, recording live is, is something definitely that's, that's very... I mean, I can't comment on Steve Albini per se, other than everything you've just said. But I think that the point, clearly the dude likes recording live, otherwise they wouldn't yeah. do it. But I think it's very important that Mono do that because it, it, it's not appropriate to, as you say, lay down the drums, yeah. you know, start splicing things up and the bass goes in because that's not how they work. They're a quartet, like mm. Alex said, you know, they're, they're quartet. They work together. They play together. They, uh, you capture, if you, if you record live, you capture exactly this essence, you know, um, this, 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 the moments of, of rawness, uh, the moments of imperfection, which in themselves, therefore, are perfect. Mm. You know, uh, we're not catching butterflies and pinning them to pages here we want we want the thing to breathe and you do that in its when it's live mm, i, th- I think yeah. um yeah i mean you know tidy it up but but yeah. mm. uh it, it breathes it's human yes you know? you're not making machine music you're not making no. edm do you know what i mean yeah. it's kind of it's about yeah. acknowledging the relationship between players orally because obviously you can't see that when yeah. you're listening to yeah, it on, yeah, yeah. on a record yeah. so it's acknowledging that relationship between the drums and the bass and the guitars in a space. And I think one thing that I, I'm i going to let a sneaky piece of information slip here. There's been a little bit of A.A. Williams mono collaboration taking place. Mm. We can, put that like we can maybe yeah, okay. talk about it or not. Okay. But in terms of the recording process, almost live, not completely purely because of the time frame that we had one day. You know, when yeah, we yeah, came yeah, and helped us out with the symbols. Yeah. You know, so we had a very limited time to work on something, but it was as live as it could have been given mm. the situation. So we did drums and bass together, along to um, along to Taka and Yoda in the control room, mm. just checking parts over and stuff like that. And then they just that was it, one take done. Mm. The speed at which these guys work is mm. phenomenal, and I mean, partly that's because they know what they want. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not like. I think for some artists it's a case of getting in the studio and just just stuff comes out and sometimes it's great and we hit record. But if you go in with a plan Mm. and you go in with a particular idea of what you want, 
And I mean, we have, you know, toed and froed over the lovely internet for a little while, trying mm. to figure out, kind of confirm parts, sort stuff out. And in the process, basically got a demo that sounds almost the same. Mm. You know right. what I mean? So actually, the recording process, it's just mm. a case of do it better mm. in a room with the vibe mm. and then you're done. Do you know what I mean? If you if you know what you want, mm. it can be easy like that. Yeah. You can just go in and do it and you don't have to rely on inspiration to just strike because you've already done the inspiring yeah, stuff yeah, and yeah. it's just about performing it and translating that mm. over into some sort of digital medium. That that's mm. it's it's easy mm. once mm. you know what you're doing. Mm. Mm. It's when you don't know what you're doing that there's a mm. problem. <laughs> So the inspiring stuff happens in the sort of rehearsal room yeah, rather than I the think, studio. I think definitely there's there's some stuff, especially when you're kind of looking at kind of, obviously you you make changes, you mm. know, you can tweak stuff. You, you can sit there in the control room and go, oh yeah, let's try, fiddle around with that. Let's do this. But the big stuff, it's it's like my old cello teacher used to say this a lot. She would say, you know, you practice before you get on stage, right? Mm. And then when you're on stage, you're not practicing, you're performing. It's mm. a totally different thing. Yeah. So You've not got to think of it. all of that stuff that you've been worrying about, that you've been working on, that you've been practicing. Forget it. Yeah. Don't think about it. Just sit down, get on with it mm -hmm. and perform it. It's a totally different mindset. Mm -hmm. So with regards to recording, it's the same thing. It's like do all of the preparation and then get in the room and just fucking play it mm. as well as you can, as kind of impassionedly, if that's a word. <laughs> yeah. Impassioned. It, it, it is you, you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, exactly. as, yeah. as kind of emotionally as you can. And try and convey how you feel over just that divide mm -hmm. into kind of, you know, kind of permanent mm -hmm. form. And then you don't worry about all that mm -hmm. other stuff. That's all done already. Mm. Could you argue that practicing is uh, the process of putting it into muscle memory and then performance yeah. I'd is say so, yeah. the emotional purging of it? Yeah. Potentially, yeah, I think so. Because it's always it's very, very hard to... to to summon the same emotional response that you have to performing something in a practice room. Mm. You can try, but it's never the same. Mm. You can try and kind of channel things into places, but mm. it's not ever going to be the same as when you're sitting out there. So is, as that, long be as you're is that because of the audience? Partly, that, you know. but you know, your body responds to this, posi this situation in different ways. I mean, some people feel more nervous about things. Some people, it's just a, a kind of a mental worry, but there's no physical kind of nerve symptoms mm. or anything like do you know what i mean everyone's different with regards to performance well this is my theory this is what, what i said to you earlier about this three-way interaction you know between audience stage and performer because this is this is like the holy trinity of you know of what makes a live performance but i yeah. think like alex says i mean i say this all the time to people but you basically you practice um because none of that counts when you get on stage, basically. So what you're doing by practicing is you were just, as you say, neuro-linguistic programming, you were, you were just training your brain to understand that you can do this. Nine times out of ten, you can do it fine. So, so it doesn't matter. When you get on stage, the audience, uh, what, what you, the notes you actually play count probably, I would say, optimistically for about 20% of your performance. Yeah. What counts is, what, uh, is how you come to the stage, how how you perform and i know this very very well because i'm on my own you know mm. so yes of course um and i can play hellfest and it's okay mm. because i've been doing it since the dawn of time basically <laughs> but you know it, it, it's it it takes time to get mm. into this totally but, but this whole practice thing like you say yeah you know, it's it, a it's a weird thing to learn to practice is a kind of and then sound, to learn to perform yeah I think. To totally different things yeah. you kind of don't think about practice as a separate entity you think of it as a chore but 
if you actually consider the amount of time necessary to learn your instrument and to you know kind of kind of become one with it to a point that you can just sit down in front of those people or stand up or however or whatever it is. yeah and, and just play you it. know it's it's not specific to an instrument or a voice or a technique it's it's all of it you know kind of there's no such there's no kind of cheap and easy way of doing it there is no, no quick way there's no like i'll oh, just casually wander on stage just fuck about and it'll be fine like there's no the time and the energy and the hours and the stress and the tears and all of that that goes into honing your instrument or your craft you can't fake it do you mm. know what i mean so mm. when you hear that that little you know that that thing that happened in the studio that little thing and you think oh i wonder if that was deliberate that little that little extra mm. knock or that little thing mm. it doesn't matter because this is human beings mm. who have spent hours and hours and days and years mm. on this craft mm, 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 mm. and if you hear that little knock or that little something it just proves that it's happened yeah, you know what yeah i mean yeah, it's yeah, enough yeah. it's proof that this isn't just been made by you know ai or something do you know yeah. what i mean it's nice to hear that you know i think to pull this to mono again actually thinking about what you're saying this is why the live performances are so uh, so exciting, so exhilarating, mm. because um, they are very, very well rehearsed. And I don't mean, therefore, they're, they're stayed mm. in any way, shape or form, but I think they know exactly what we're talking about here. And it's the fact that they are, uh, they, they know exactly who does what. And even in this massive wall of sound, I, I see this, if somebody does a slightly funny note somewhere, Taka will know, you know. You know. Yeah. And which is incredible in, in that sheer exactly. wave of volume. But That's an incredible thing. If you have thing. that, you, so you've got this amount of practice, then you've got this delivery on stage, then in the studio, it makes sense. Why not do exactly the same thing? Mm. So, yeah. so go into the studio, yeah. do recreate that live thing, you know, mm. like you're saying, and then, and then you've got something which is as close, I suppose, to a performance as you're going to get. So it's mm. an experience, you know, it's interesting. Is this um, performance uh, practice um, thing that we've been talking about, is that something you can relate to as well, Serena? Um, definitely. Like, yeah. uh, so performance is, is a, a separate thing for me. Like, um, it's, it's the cathartic and a connecting experience with other people. And it's 90% about getting my lyrics across rather than playing my guitar mm. well i don't care about that when i'm on stage i care about uh just the the emotion that kind of courses through you and okay. uh conveying that to as many people as possible so um, you're never thinking about technical things oh god no at all no and like i used to when when svalbard started I used to really beat myself up if I played a riff wrong or a, a few wrong notes. And now I go, okay, who are the best bands I've seen? Did I yeah. care? Yeah. Did I notice yeah. if they played a wrong yeah. note? But no. The thing is, you put all that work in somewhere else. On, on a day off, you've sat there practicing, you're you know, playing along to whatever or, or writing songs or whatever. That in itself is practice. Practice takes so many different forms that the most important thing is that when you're performing, you're performing yeah. and you are feeling that emotion and that you are conveying what you came there to convey mm. and then like you say if you make a wrong note it doesn't matter yeah. you know yeah. because the the balls of that work has been done elsewhere with a different mindset with a different approach in free time to kind of spend as much time as you need just to hone something if you want to or not but mm. you know it's about being able to 
put on the kind of performance hat, yeah. you know, and to give as much attention to that emotion that it deserves. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, when I'm practicing, uh, it's it's a completely different experience. It's very calm. It's very like therapeutic. Yeah. It's very sort of measured and, you know deliberate and it's just me on my own and my guitar and then when it's me on s well someone <laughs> someone once said to me oh you look so nice and then you get on stage and you're scary yeah. <laughs> brilliant and, uh, i'm sure that's something you didn't care about uh, anymore <laughs> <laughs> um but i think in a really bad uh, obtuse way it kind of does get across that thing of like mm. there's such a difference between sitting there and getting your notes right and figuring out your guitar leads and whatnot mm. to being on stage and communicating a piece a piece of music to the people in front of you mm. and to the people that care about hearing it like it's a such a different dynamic um but it mm. definitely like it's a stagecraft is a thing to learn in itself because yep. you can't foot it like you can't teach you know um no. there isn't any way of practicing how your body responds to getting up in front of however many people exactly you know the lights and the physical environment the fact that you just see all these kind of multitude of eyes you know mm. you can't pretend you can't do that anywhere you can't go into your living room and just pretend there's 50 people watching you because there aren't and you feel fine and you also feel a bit stupid <laughs> you know what thing. i mean you you're, can't you're fake that you're practicing for an environment which you can't Stimulate. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Or control. Exactly. Ah, Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, God, you're giving me flashbacks to when I was doing <laughs> this. But yeah, I, I do I do recall sort of being in my room practicing and just getting it down pat and just feeling super confident. And then you walk in a room and suddenly you've got I mean, in my case, usually like 10 pairs of eyes on me <laughs> and you're just bricking it. Like you just like, whoa, everything's gone. And, and now my fingers, I can't get the fingering right. Nothing and I'm just working. like, nothing's working. Yeah. And like, what the hell's going on? The shape of the room is different. Oh, the my God. Yeah. 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 The sound so The dimensions of everything yeah. is, yeah. yeah. You're, you're not, fa you know, in, when Svalbard practice, we all face each other. Yes. And you uh, don't have that's always, cues. yeah, that's yeah. always a thing. I remember yeah. trying to prepare for road burn because this was our first show it was wasn't it yeah and yeah. trying to prepare for that i was trying to make myself so nervous the night before i couldn't sleep at all i was trying to just kind of you know i was kind of drifting off to sleep and i was trying to imagine because i hadn't seen the room i had zero it was like like sometimes i kind of do a little bit sneaky like google images oh that's what <laughs> it looks like from stage okay cool because then you know and then you're like okay mm -hmm. cool I, I know where i'm what i'm in for here it, nice, albeit it's an empty room but it's better than nothing but that's another thing you can tick off which you then don't need to you think don't need about. to think about yeah, it yeah, yeah. so yeah. you know and and so i was trying to force myself to have that response you know that kind of stress response i suppose that kind of you know the kind of butterflies in the tummy the kind of slightly tight chesty mm. kind mm. of thing that you can't really create unless you are nervous mm. you know mm. so i was thought i don't know how i'm gonna feel yeah. going on stage. i've not done this before i don't bloody know mm. you know so i thought well i'll try and make myself try and force that response the day before so sitting there trying to imagine performing this stuff in front of people and just absolutely petrified mm -hmm. and to be fair the 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 day itself was so rushed that i actually didn't do any of that because someone just went go now i was mm. like oh i'm on stage everyone's here mm. um you but can, you can imagine a, it a million different ways yeah and it will always it's be never going to be the same yeah, 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 never yeah. going to be the same but i think it's it's the only way I found to do it weirdly was with my eyes shut. Mm. Oh, really? So 
practicing in an empty living room, you know, yeah. is all very well and good. And yes, you feel, you think you're, you're super confident and you're happy and you're like, I can totally do this. With my eyes shut, I can imagine the stage and, and the space and the kind of, um, and the people and whether there's one guy in the middle and there's 10 or 20 or whatever, you can kind of do yeah. that better with your eyes shut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is why, I guess, I don't know, I close my eyes a lot on stage. But Me too. I think I think people kind of yeah. have different relationships with how they feel about conveying things to people, like kind of looking people in the eye <laughs> and mm. singing songs at them <laughs> kind of is a bit weird sometimes, yeah. to be honest. So I, you know, it, yeah, I think it's um, it's a different thing. I mean, the cool thing about instrumental music is you don't have to worry about like, you know, kind of confessing undying love through text at someone at in some the front bloke. row. You don't yeah, have right, yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> this itch issue. So at least you can kind of play the guitar and, and you, know, you know people are responding yeah. in, in their own way. And you're putting your own emotion in for the day, but you mm. don't have to kind of do it at them. You know, it's kind See, of. See, it's interesting because I, 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 it's not. I, I have this. Well, I, I play all of my music have very, very clear identity, and mm -hmm. I know exactly what each piece is about. And I'm very interested. I'm doing a big piece at the moment where I'm becoming very interested to see what happens because this actually has text behind it, oh, which I turned into a chart system. Okay. It's kind of like nice. making musical sigil, basically. Yeah, but it's, it's not groundbreaking, but. Anyway, like a Gregorian type thing or something like that, or is mm, it a bit different? No, it's kind of. Um, it's basically so. So the poem I wrote this poem, put it into this this chart form. So mm. allocate particular letters, symbols kind to like beats, notes. John Cage. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not groundbreaking, okay. but then it. I make. I take out all of the um, connecting words, stuff like that, and then so the same way you would if you were going to draw a sigil, you know. To, okay. To, Anyway, you end up with this piece of music. I would be very interested to know if it has any kind of effect on an audience because I'm not going. I'm not thinking about publishing this text. You see, it'd be mm -hmm. interesting to see what happens in this sense of form. Why am I talking about this? What I actually wanted to talk about was <laughs> was uh, this is what podcast? Yeah, no, this no, is great. But, it, but 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 yeah. Anyway, performance practice, right? This is just the, the short thing I'll tell you. But I do sometimes work with young people. Um, in performance preparation, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they like to know, and it's true, and I say to them that the, the, the chemical energy or the chemical in your body for uh, nerves is exactly the same as excitement, you know? Mm. So the first thing we could do is take that hat off and put that hat on. Yeah. Then we'll have a go, you know, mm. see, see how things go forward totally. from there. You know, and all the kind of trusted, let's take a deep breath and all the rest of it. But it's actually, it's the, the very first step, I think, is altering... The, the mind's impression of what you're going to do rather than you're going to go and be shot you're going to go and have <laughs> an absolute blast you know what you know? I was having a very <laughs> similar conversation you know um, Joe and I did the um, the At The Gates performance mm. at Roadburn yes. as well we were just Which there was for great. a few <laughs> it was great a oh, few. Was that was fun. so much fun so much but fun I remember chatting to the drummer yes yeah before, yeah Adrian yeah before we went on stage and he was saying oh I feel nervous I feel nervous and I was like just pretend you're feeling sick it's the same feeling. Just pretend it's because you're feeling sick, not because it's nerves. Yeah. Just pretend you've had an iffy lunch yeah. or whatever. Just think if you change the mindset yeah. and assign the feeling a different, emo the physical feeling, like a different yeah. emotion. Yeah. You say, oh, that's because my breakfast was weird, not because I'm nervous. That's, do you know what I mean? If you think about it in a different way, you can try and relax a little yeah. bit, like you're saying about just, just excitement, nerves, same thing. It's just, exa just it's swap it's the exactly assigned... The same kind of reason yeah. for that to be there. Yeah, yeah, and, um, precisely. That's so interesting because that's obviously what a lot of performers sort of crave, isn't it? Uh, that's that a lot, a it's adrenaline, uh, yeah, that, that, yeah, I mean, that's the reason that a lot of 
I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions. I'm not casting aspersions. That's totally fine to want to do it for that reason. And I'm not saying that either, either three of you, that that's the reason you mm. do it solely. But for a lot of people, it is that craving that. I mean, I remember really enjoying that, you know, when I was performing. It is. It's a compulsion. And we're yeah. like forever high our aims when we're writing our music and our songs and our performance and all the rest of it. There is a, there's an underlying principle which is that we actually do want to get on that stage and that's an addiction mm. yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah totally. basically um and, and it's not because we want you know oh, hurrah hurrah or anything. it's something mm. we have to do i think mm. in us for us you know it's a uh, like some people go horse riding you know what i mean yeah. we we yeah. have to go some people climb mountains yeah. yeah yeah precisely yeah and there's a i i, I think I, I was interested in what you're talking about with showmanship i mean when you were talking about sort of uh, Alex, when you were talking about um, getting up in people's faces, immediately I thought of Nick Cave uh, <laughs> and his sort of showmanship. And showmanship rarely exists in uh, instrumental music. Oh, um, I don't know about that. Okay. Well, I mean, where? Well, I mean, where, well, I mean any, any of them, really. I mean, do you I mean what, what do we uh, class as showmanship? Yeah, yeah, that's that's, mm, thing. Okay. that's the What do you mean issue. by mm. stagecraft and showmanship? Um, I don't know. I suppose. Quite often with instrumental music, it uh, it certainly has a reputation for having a sort of shoegaze um, uh, delivery mm -hmm. to it. Oh, and uh, to you know, to be clear, you're not going to get a bigger <laughs> fan of instrumental music than <laughs> me. So I'm not actually saying this in a disparaging way necessarily, but I do think it has that reputation, mm -hmm. rightly or mm -hmm. wrongly. Um, there's, and I suppose. Maybe that's because there isn't a, there often isn't a, a person to isn't focus a on. Front person. A front in, in person. Yeah, 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 yeah. To to focus on. But um, I mean, if 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 you disagree, please, please. Or, well, I think that probably. I mean, one thing that rides completely over that is if you've ever seen Caspian, for example. Oh, one of my favourite. Yeah. Bands so I mean, that's yeah. that's that's a masterclass in yeah. stagecraft every single night. I've yeah. Yes, them, and that's that's um, you know is unparalleled. Yes, um, I agree completely. Every single note is perfect. Uh, yes, exactly. And and the charisma they have on yeah. stage um, is 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 fantastic. It's um, partly because Philip's about six foot eight. He, he's a big guy. <laughs> <laughs> they coordinate them their moves very well, yeah. without intention. But it's it's very impressive to, to mm. watch. Yes. You know, when when they allow the body. I think probably um, the the term post-rock mm. is has is unfortunate because that tends to spring up shoegazy type mm. things mm. um but anybody who's put a show on in, in instrumental music I, I think i i see very few uh instrumental bands that 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 bore me you know mm. um i think it's just connecting in a different way mm. and yes showmanship yeah. in a different way um, I used to play in an instrumental prog band. Oh, hello. fabulous! Three <laughs> guitarists, no vocalists. That sounds, that sounds that's great. That's, that's how prog we were. Yeah. I'm not gonna say. <laughs> Can you tell us? We that? we were yeah we were finalists for King Battle Crimson. to Bloodstock. Oh, oh brilliant! Yes. yes, okay, I remember you talking about this. Yeah, brilliant. but we didn't win because we aren't a thrash band. <laughs> I can, I can uh, cut that if you want to. No, don't <laughs> cut that. <laughs> Leave that in. in. Make it louder. Make it louder. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like, and I remember mm -hmm. when we were playing live, um, you you go into a different space when you don't totally have, different. and you do like the. 
I find, and you watch other bands that have, like I'm, I'm really into my prog and there's a lot of good prog instrumental bands in Bristol and it's more the facial expressions, yeah. the movements, yeah. the kind of, it doesn't have to be about getting close, physically close to someone yeah. or getting in someone's face or shouting or having the words. Like it's, it's a much more kind of, I guess for the audience sometimes it may feel more passive but there's definitely still a showmanship. It's it's just mm. a different flavor yeah, of showmanship. Totally mm. Mm. I think it's it's interesting to watch also having, um, we did a few shows with Russian Circles mm. a few weeks ago. And I think something that I've noticed, certainly being with them, is this: there's an element of control that you can see while people are performing. And it's, it's not like control as in um, concentrating really hard and trying to get it right. It's, it's a kind of a, a restraint that doesn't necessarily match what you're hearing because you may hear something loud and heavy and there's like, you know, kind of all sorts of extra elements of production that give you that showmanship in inverted commas, but it's not assigned to one person. It's the entire production. Mm -hmm. So with mm -hmm. mono, again, lights, so important, mm -hmm. you know, mm. to, to see those other elements of the production. It's not just about three people, four people yeah. standing on stage. Yeah. It's, it's a combination of a multitude of elements which give you that experience as an audience member you know to, to watch mono again sometimes very controlled mm. on stage and then yes you know things start to escalate and people start to move more and and people stand up you know and, and all sorts of things happen people There's, fling their arms i know the people move yeah, you know yeah. but but there is something that's not like control or restraint is a negative mm. it's just mm -hmm. an alternative way of presenting that sound you know and and to me personally i, I quite enjoy it as a viewer mm. and as a listener because it gives me a chance to experience the music as a kind of as a visual and an oral thing and i'm not having my attention grabbed by someone wiggling about in the middle mm. which is fine for some things of course and, and totally appropriate but for instrumental music i really enjoy that everyone's just kind of moving with what they're performing in usually quite a kind of accidentally hypnotic fashion mm -hmm. and it's great and combine that with the lights and, and how you feel in in the space it's it's it works for me. It's that synergy, isn't it? Mm. And without having a front person or a front uh, vocalist, you have much more to space to appreciate that interplay yes. between three or four mm. people. And, and this is one thing I'm thinking about when every time I've seen mono, yeah, you're watching a quartet, yes. you are watching four people who are so entwined with each other and locked in with each mm. other musically like that's one the showmanship yeah and then yeah. you know combined with things like the lights as well it is it's that's what you're seeing yeah. that synergy awesome thank you so much guys this has been an absolute pleasure to discuss um this absolutely phenomenal band. I sincerely recommend that everyone go and see them live. I've seen them, as I say, a half a dozen times live and it's it's a different experience every single time I go and see them, I feel. Um, this Beyond the Past Mono 20th anniversary show is happening on Friday the 13th and Saturday the 14th of December um, across three different brilliant venues in London, actually, the Oval Space, Barbican, and Village Underground, and all three of these brilliant musicians are playing it as well. So I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend you go. Uh, Serena, Alex, Joe, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see you guys on the road at some point, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>